welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSB Magazine. You're listening to a new The Hacker Factory podcast with hacker maker, Philip Wiley. You're about to discover what the role of a professional hacker entails, the different specializations it holds, and what it takes to learn and become one. Enjoy the conversation as Philip and guests unveil the secrets of professional hacking, a mysterious, intriguing, and often misunderstood occupation. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Hacker Factory Podcast. I'm your host, Philip Wiley, the Hacker Maker. In each episode, I have a guest sharing their tips and story on how they got started in the industry. And this week, I'm very excited to have uh, Allie Diamond joining. Uh, Allie and I know each other from from InfoSec Twitter and recently were introduced and, and I was on her podcast and live stream. So I'm excited to have her on the show today. Thanks for joining um, thank you so much for having me. I like can't stop smiling. My cheeks hurt. I'm just so excited to be here. That's good to have you. And I think you're 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 always doing good things to help people that are trying to get started in the industry. And and uh, I think it, those are the kind of people that are very helpful to have on. So thanks for joining. Yeah, so, uh, I'm so happy to be here. So to kind of start out, why don't you tell our audience about yourself? Yeah. So, hi everyone. I'm Allie. You can find me online everywhere at Ending with Allie. That does include Minecraft, and I say that every time. If you hear me talk, I'll say that every time. But um, I'm an engineer by blood and by trade. I come from like a long line of engineers, so being surrounded by computers was always something that I grew up uh, kind of seeing in my life. Um, and I know that's a huge privilege in the tech industry to have that because there's so many people who. Um, didn't have that opportunity to be raised by engineers, but um, I am actually a developer relations engineer by trade, um, software engineer by education. And so right now I work at a company called coder.com where I focus on making the product more accessible and um, get more eyes on the product as well as create content that helps developers um, and DevOps engineers um, understand how the product works better. But in my free time, I am a cybersecurity aficionado, lover of InfoSec and Twitch streamer. And that's where I kind of study live and work on uh, security related content. Oh, very cool. So yeah, it's uh, one of the one of the things that I thought was will, will be worth, worth sharing too, is your content creation. And, and because, you know, there's so many people that are, you know, kind of got their start in the industry through content creation. Although, you know, not the case with you, but seeing how it's a, a very important tool for people wanting to get started out, it's definitely, definitely worth discussing. Oh, yeah, definitely. And I, I, I tell all of my friends, if they have anything of interest that they're working on, even just sharing what they're working on on a regular basis is super important because in today's modern times, and I've actually written a couple of blog posts about this in regards to both finding jobs and just networking and meeting people, putting yourself out there is super important. And I think I'm like the number one testament for this because I right now don't work in the security space. Um, I will put an asterisk with that, that I was working at Lacework and I was laid off. Um, but I 
had the opportunity to work in the security space, but I wouldn't have gotten that opportunity had I not put myself out there in regards to my love of security and just be like, this is something I want to do. I want to change the way that developers think about security and also just promote, promote more people for getting involved in the security space. Yeah. Before, before we get more into the content creation stuff, that's very important to have someone that's advocating for developers to be more secure because I know a lot of the, a lot of the schools really don't teach that coming out. So a lot of developers have to learn that after the fact. Yes, I know. Oh my God. And this, okay. As someone who um, gets a lot of anxiety, I imagine that this is a very, uh, I hope that a lot of developers can relate to this when you're writing code and you're sitting there and you're thinking, you're like, oh my God, am I writing this code secure? Like, what if this is going to be vulnerable? Like, what do I do? How do I do this? And I just think it's, 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 there needs to be a change in just the the software tutorial writing industry and just software education industry in general of teaching people earlier on in, um, how to write more secure code. And this even falls under the shift left principle. You'll see, you hear people talking about shift left all the time. And for those who don't know what shift left is, it's basically like taking a process and moving it earlier into the development cycle, into the software building cycle, into the just process cycle in general. And like, in my mind, teaching developers earlier on in their uh, education about how to write secure software is the ultimate shift left because you're making it easier for the people at the end of that cycle who are all the way on the right, whether that's your security, your security, your te teams, your IT teams, um, your pen testers, you're making your pen testers lives harder because you're, you're putting in less uh, vulnerabilities, but also making your security teams have more sleep at night, a better quality of life. Like you, there's no excuse for engineers to not write secure code. So what, what are some uh, recommendations for people that are coders that want to learn to uh, secure more code, to code more securely? <laughs> yeah. Um, be, uh, my number one recommendation is be skeptical of every tutorial that you read. Understand that every tutorial that you read is not going to be secure. So ask questions. And when you're reading these tutorials, be like, is this really the most secure way to do this? And uh, a great example of this is I was recently um, using a company's product and following the tutorials live on stream. And I happened to have someone in the company who actually wrote the tutorial in my stream watching. And I, and I was sitting there giving them feedback. And I was like, why are you telling me to put this .env into a file in plain text? Like, why is this right here? You should be writing here better security practices. So if you're and, and for people who are writing the tutorials and writing um, content for developers, keep in mind that they're going to come back to your content time and time again, and developers are going to see your content. So making sure that you tell them how to do it securely from day one is super important. And uh, using tools like, for example, static analysis, just to make sure that you're not leaving any vulnerabilities there super early on is super important. And that might also involve getting, getting your DevOps teams to put that into your deployment pipeline super early on so developers can fix uh, potential vulnerabilities really quickly. So there's some good resources that you recommend for, for learning? Um, Honestly, my number one resource, if you're interested in learning how to write more secure code, is go to Try Hack Me and try learning just some security principles. Just learning the basic security principles from Try Hack Me. Do a couple of easy boxes. They're not the most difficult. We'll just get you in the way of thinking 
how to write code more securely. Yeah, I like that too. The hands-on approach makes things more interesting and and sometimes uh, I think a better way to learn than just methodology. You can read all of the papers in the world, but until you put it into practice, it's never going to stack, you know? Yeah, definitely. So kind of how did you get started with coding? How how did you get into, I know you grew up raised by engineers, uh, better than being raised by wolves, but how did you, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so what got, what got you interested in coding and kind of how did you get started? Yeah. Okay. So I remember exactly where I was when I realized I wanted to take a coding class. So it was my ninth grade. It was towards the end of the year. It was probably like April or May. And uh, we had, I was in my physics class and it was, I could literally tell you almost the exact time. It's actually kind of scary why I remember this. It was around like three 20. Uh, class got out at 3.30, 3.37, which is a very weird time, I remember. Um, but I we had finished the lessons early for the day. And so one of my friends was working on his coding homework. And I was like, what are you working on? And he's like, oh, my coding homework. It's in C. Keep in mind, they're te teaching freshmen C. And I was like, that's crazy. Like, that's wow. so cool. I want to learn how to code. And um, it was nothing that I was like, shepherded into but instead something i took the initiative into um and so i've just been in the software space ever since i took coding courses when i was in high school i went on to graduate high school and went on to study computer science and electrical engineering at mit and um when i was there i actually learned about developer relations and so i've actually been doing devrel as my career since i graduated college so very cool. And that's just one of those, one of those type of roles that you just really don't think about. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Must've been a, a pretty interesting experience going to MIT. Yeah. It, I like, I've been thinking about it a lot recently. Um, but it was definitely like, people are always like, Oh, was MIT hard? And I'd say, yes, it was the hardest thing I've ever done. And then they're like, Oh, but like, would you do it again? And in a heartbeat, in a heartbeat, if I had the opportunity to go back to MIT, I would love to. I just feel like I know so much more now than I did then. That is just such a dream. You know, it would be so cool to take what I know now. So if someone was wanting to get started in software development, how would you recommend that they get started? I mean, you know, you've had your experiences are there, you know, what would you consider the optimal way for someone to get started in that area yeah um and this is something i think a lot about because there's and this is going to touch on content creation there's a lot of content creators out there who are just like oh go on these websites and do this and do that but at the end of the day it's the same idea of learning by doing um as i've said for um, software engineers who want to write more secure code, try doing try hack me. And for people who just want to learn how to write code, start with um, just making yourself a personal website. There's a lot of awesome resources out there now that um, will enable you to just learn how to write your own personal website and get that deployed up into the cloud really quickly. Things like Vercel and Netlify basically remove having to think about hosting and you can just deploy it quite quickly with zero, little to no friction, um, as well as 
doing a lot of, I personally am like, oh, stop by on my Twitch streams and see what you can learn there. Um, I personally try to make my Twitch stream super approachable for everyone, as well as people are going to tell you to go to free code camp and um, all those different ones, but figure out what really works for you and the way that works for your learning. Um, so for me, I find that just being live on Twitch and having that collaborative experience is really, really helpful for me for learning, but that might not be something that's good for someone else. So knowing what style of learning works best for you. Very cool. So yeah, I've, I've kind of wondered about free, free code camp, if that, whether that was a good resource or not. You see that one thrown out there a lot. Yeah. Um, and but my opinions on free, free code camp are they focus more on just like a higher level thing. And when you want to go deeper and I'm, if you go on my Twitter, I'm right now very anti JavaScript. So maybe find something that does Python, try Python. I, I'm anti JavaScript right now. I'm done with JavaScript. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of it out there. For sure. Yeah. yeah. And it's got this, this, and, and when it comes to JavaScript, and this is just my personal opinion, so calm down, remove the pitchforks. Um, but there is such a chokehold that JavaScript has on the industry and uh, people telling new engineers they need to learn JavaScript, but there is more to the software industry besides just JavaScript. And we need to remember that. So learn other things besides JavaScript. Yes, Script can do everything. But should it do everything? Ask yourself, should you be really, should you really be using JavaScript for your front and your back and your database and like every single thing? Probably not. But that's just my opinion. So what so what do you recommend for like web web development? Um, What's your preferred? Yeah, I've been really enjoying um, Flask for the back end obviously for the front end you have to use javascript sadly um but trying to do as much as much lifting as i can using uh python as possible so yeah and that's a good one for folks that are wanting to get in the security industry or are in the security industry there's so so many uses for python yeah especially for that python is just such a uh, like universally usable language because I'm sorry, but I don't want to have to think about trying to write like scripts using JavaScript on and having to figure out how to run them in, in uh, like terminal. While in Python, it is just a one line command to try running a script in the terminal. Like that is, there is just so much easier to me to understand Python than JavaScript. And at least now, days of people want to learn Python, it's gotten a little bit better before when you still had some of the Python 2x out there and 3x hadn't been fully adopted yet. So at least that makes things a little more easy for people who are wanting to learn Python these days. Yeah, oh, definitely. Now it's consistent. Eventual consistency works and we've reached it. So yeah, we should uh, kind of dive into the content creation thing. So what are your kind of recommendations there for, for people that want to get into content creation? Where should they start? You know, what type of platforms should they use? And Yeah. Um, so content creation, um, I'll, I'll start off with this. Content creation has been something that's always been fascinating to me and has always been something I studied. Um, I watched my first and another moment of time that I very peakly remember is the first time I ever heard about YouTube, which was in 2007. I was sitting in my American history class and someone was like, oh, did you see this YouTube video of some like riot? 
And I was like, no. And I go on and it's just ever, it's been a black rabbit hole ever since. So I've just been studying content creation for a while. And it took me a lot of many years to grow the confidence to actually start putting myself out there. And so if you're listening to me right now and you have the inkling, the desire to do it, please just get started. I wish I started earlier. Like I genuinely wish I started earlier. I think my life would be a lot different had I. And I think that's one of my biggest regrets is not starting my content creation journey earlier um, just to make myself happy, but also the opportunities that have come from it, both like even being here right now, um, I'm part of a podcast called Insecurity We Trust. And that wouldn't, I wouldn't have had the chance to be here if it wasn't for you being on the podcast and um, Parker helping get us in contact. Like there's just so many opportunities that come from content creation. And I saw a, um, Many, many moons ago, I saw a tweet. I don't remember who tweeted it. I can't tell you exactly what it said, but the gist was, if you're not writing, start now. Because when you look back in five years time, you'll be so impressed to see you have this like just plethora and library of content and you won't realize that it's happened. And so like, even if you're publishing once every few months, that's still content that you put out there and that's still effective for you. And how to get started, it's a matter of first finding what platforms work well for you. So I am much better improv. I am much better um, speaking. I am much better like being able to emote. And so being on Twitch and uh, being on Twitch, it has been a super amazing opportunity for me. Um, I think that's where I thrive best. But then there's also like Twitter and simply some, you might be like a thread kid where like you're just doing a lot of threads about the things that you're learning, things that you're working on. And people really love learning that way. You might be a writer and that might be just creating blog posts. While they, and, and I'll pause and say right now, the SEO and blogs are really difficult. Yes, but at least having that backlog of content that when if you want to get a new job, you can go up and be like, hey, I'm looking to get hired. Here's all this content I've created. You can see that I have a level of competency that is harder to prove otherwise when you don't have that um, repertoire. Um, having that out, that out there content gives you a repertoire that people can come to you and trust you with. Some very good points, and that's one of the things I think people overlook a lot of time is is writing blog posts because some people may be too shy to be on camera or do any kind of recorded type of uh, media. But you know, writing that's you know that one's a lot easier as far as if you're kind of a really introverted and shy person. And I'll I'll give you I'll give if you're introverted and shy and you're still a little shy about writing, just literally voice to text. Um, I feel like my blog posts are the way that I literally speak to people. Um, and so like it could literally just be you taking what you're saying and turning it into a blog post. Like say if you drive a car, which um, hi to everyone who's driving a car and listening to us right now. Thank you so much and stay safe on the road. Um, <laughs> but um like if you're driving, just turn on voice to tech, right? T voice to text and just start talking about things that you're working on at work and see if there's any interesting content in there. You know, that's, that's a, that's a great idea. 
I mean, because you just think about things when you're out, you don't have access to, you know, a writing pad or even to try to stop and you're, you're out somewhere walking and, and write it into your smartphone. What's a good way of doing that? I mean, just kind of do a brain dump of just your thoughts and what I do actually now is if I come up with an idea, I'm, I'm really bad at going back and checking to see what I've written down. So I'll literally message a friend my idea. Like I had this like idea for a um, talk that I wanted to give that was like, like stop getting choked by JavaScript, kind of the same rant I just gave. So I literally sent him like 10 voice notes and I was like, save all these voice notes and remind me. And what's really cool about that is that now you have someone who's going to hold you accountable to getting that thing done. Yeah, that's a great idea. Yeah. So what, what kind of a voice to text program do you use? Honestly, I just use my phone. My, okay. I have an iPhone. And okay. I just turn on voice. I just turn on um, the voice, voice to text. Um, and I personally, when I write all my blogs, um, I start off writing them all in Notion. So Notion has an iPhone app. So I'll just do voice to text there. Um, um, and then my process from that is then I'll take the blogs, edit it, um, and then drop it into a Google Drive, a Google document, just to grammar correct, because um, Notion, I've been using it for many years, but I would love to see some better grammar correction there. Um, I'm just going to throw this out there, but a Notion acquisition of Grammarly would be so great um, and integrate right in there. That'd be so sick. But, um, <laughs> and then I will publish the blogs eventually. Eventually, <laughs> I have a backlog about like six or seven blog posts right now that I've had written for like over a year that I've been slowly leaking when I remember to post them. Um, but just having them set up and ready to go and ready to be published is like how I do it. I host my own blog. I use um, for my blog. I personally made my own blog. Um, and by made my own blog, I mean, I downloaded a Jekyll template and deployed it on Vercel, but I want to see someone write their information security blog on Tumblr. Please make it happen. Someone please use Tumblr as your blog. I think that's a great idea. Literally like it's even less friction than like setting up a WordPress site, setting up all those setting up all those other like um blogging platforms no just get on tumblr and start writing like it's so it's there we know how to use tumblr we can make it happen yeah that's a platform i hadn't heard mentioned in a long time <laughs> I, i've been thinking about tumblr a lot yeah yeah i had a tumblr at one point me too. I had yeah. I had a couple tumblers. I actually, um, I had a secret tumbler. A lot of people don't know this about me, but I had a secret tumbler. Um, it was one of the first, one of the, there were a couple of us out there, rowing related tumblers because I was on the crew team. And I had like over a thousand followers and I was just like, oh my God, like this is crazy. And I, I sometimes go back and think if I had had the confidence to continue the content creation that I was doing on Tumblr and the curation I was doing, um, because you, like curation is also right now really big in the content creation space. You see people like Snackshots with Andrea, um, Andrea, Andrea. I'm so sorry if I'm butchering your name. Um, getting a lot of really amazing opportunities just simply curating. Um, so if you can be also a potential curator, that is a form of content creation that doesn't even re require you creating content, but instead you creating content about content. So like, 
I just think about how my life would have been had I continued my curation and rowing <laughs> exposés. And one of the things you mentioned earlier that I like too is, you know, you kind of telling people not to wait because, you know, there's too many times it's just like trying to get into security. People ask, do I need to know how to code? And then if you, they hear that they need to know Python, then they're going to learn Python before they start their security journey. And sometimes that just kind of delays you getting into security. Maybe you don't learn Python and you give up on security. So your your point of of getting started, I like that because too many yeah. times we procrastinate. We, it just doesn't happen. We just keep putting it off. And I will say that like doing try hack me and the the like really early boxes and um, the, doing this exploration on my own, it almost feels like my coding skills have absolutely zero like application to the work that I've been doing on try hack me. Like I haven't gotten to the point where it's been helpful yet. So like, don't worry about coding. I don't, I think that it's almost, you'll converge to that point eventually, but my recommendation to you, like if you learn how to, if you know how to code and you want to get into security, that knowledge will help you in the sense of you understand how to maneuver through a system and you kind of understand Linux and the Unix system. Um, because, I mean, that's just another story of the Mac, of the Unix versus Windows um, operating system. But now there's the Windows subsystem for whatever. That's another story. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. So, yeah, just kind of on the topic, since you're with your security background and, or, you know, your personal learning journey and, and security. So what would be some places for someone to pivot that maybe they're working as a developer? What are some areas that they could move in through that that development background would uh, help them? You know what? That's a really great question. And I honestly have no idea. That's a really good question. I feel like like a good pivot would be like maybe becoming a security engineer, but I, you know, I'm still, and, and I'll be a hundred percent transparent. I'm still super, super early in my security journey. I'm technically self-taught. I put a really strong asterisk on that. Um, I'm like mostly self-taught. Um, and so there's still so much in the security space. And when you hear people talk about the security space, there's so many different facets. Security is not just one thing. There's so many sub facets that you can dive into. So finding those jobs, like, I'm sorry, I can't help you find those jobs. Like, I don't know what the jobs are. Maybe, you know, I would love for you to tap in and say some opportunities. Um, but I, my asterisk is that I, uh, and this is this is a story. Um, so in college, I took one security course, and it was the only security course I knew of at school. It was MIT six eight five eight. Was it eight five eight or eight two eight? It was one of those, um, and it was the security course. A lot of the knowledge that was taught to us was a lot of like older papers, not a lot of modern stuff, but um, the course that year just happened to be taught by Robert Morris of the Morris Orb. And so um, that was the course that, that was, that was one of the hardest courses I've ever taken. Um, definitely. It was so interesting. Um, that and concurrent systems, which is a whole nother thing. But um, I ended up starting the homework for that course really, really, really early, like two weeks beforehand. I was reading the first paper because they made us read research papers. And so the first day of class comes up and I'm, I'm like, oh, wait, that's Robert Morris from the first paper that we had to read. So I walk up to him and I'm like, oh yeah, like you're Robert Morris. Like 
you you're in the paper that we had to read and he just like looks at me and he's like yeah i was really silly back then and then he just like turns around and i'm like this dude hates me this dude hates me <laughs> so um i don't know <laughs> that's pretty interesting what well, just kind of back on the topic of that areas to pivot into is uh, some of the areas i've seen is application security and then uh, application pen testing are, are good roles to move into so one of the things I recommend is someone's wanting to be a pen tester and they're coming from an application background, then application pen testing uh, is a good place to get into because, you know, you need to understand the technology and how to secure it if you're going to be able to break into it. So those are kind of the the tips I give people that are wanting to move over from a development background. Yeah. So, yeah, that's uh Pretty, pretty interesting background. And then I really like the the tips on the content creation. We're getting down close to the end of the show. Is there any advice that you'd like to share with our listeners? Yeah. Uh, my other one piece of advice is um, don't be afraid to reach out for like, just to ask a question. Um, and I was literally sitting here facing the same issue uh, yesterday. Um uh, and this is more work related, but I was like having an issue with like homebrew and I didn't know where to go. And I was like, Oh, like, you know, where do I ask this question? Like, Oh, I could go ask it on the homebrew page, blah, blah, blah. Just ask. No one's, no one's going to like fault you for asking a question. And if they do shame them, just shame them. Let people know they're a piece of trash. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> sorry <laughs> that might be a little strong for this podcast but i'm a little strong you know um but like it, asking there's no shame in asking questions and there are no stupid questions and, and i will always always say this there are no stupid questions so if you ask me a question no do not start it with the, uh can i ask you a stupid question because i promise you your question is not stupid because if you don't know it you don't know it and that's not a stupid question so please just go out and ask yeah, I agree with that. I think people are a lot more opening, open to helping people than what they would think because there's some people in the industry that want to give back and help people. They don't have time to maybe be a full-time mentor, but they can answer questions from time to time. And it's, you know, sharing things that comes pretty simple and easy to them. So, you know, that's kind of a, a way to help them give back because just from running uh, the Pwn School project, I've had people that couldn't run their own meetup, but they would periodically speak at other other meetups because they had the time. They just didn't have the time to do it full time. So I think everyone's a lot better at that now because when I got my start in IT back in 97, you had some of the people that it was like job security. They didn't want to share some of their knowledge with people because they feel, feel like it'd make them replaceable. And, and I think that the industry is starting to get away from that, especially I think security has been pretty open as long as I've been in there, they seem to be more open to, to helping others. Oh, yeah, definitely. I think that even more recently with the rise of security focused content creators, I think that barrier has been broken down even more, more than I've seen in the past few years. It's just like it's I just see more and more people putting themselves out there asking for help. And I think that's really awesome. Cool. So we're uh, down towards the end of the show. Is there anything else? Um, yes, I would love everyone to come follow me on Twitch uh, from time to time. I uh, do security content and teach myself. So would love to see you tap in. Or if you just want to learn about coding and see someone absolutely uh, flounder around on Twitch, I'm happy for you to come stop by. Um, if not, 
um, just please get started. Just do that thing that you've been wanting to do, whether or not it's security related. I Listen, I'm putting this in your ears right now. I know you're listening. Just do it. Nike, check mark. Just do it. <laughs> cool. Uh, thanks for, for joining. I appreciate you taking time out of your schedule to join the podcast. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks everyone for joining and we'll see you on the next episode. Bye. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Hacker Factory podcast with Philip Wiley. If you learned something new and this podcast made you think, then share itsbmagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society.